Hello, I'm Helen Daly. Welcome to Build It, Thou Come. When we came back into Red Balloon, I think we were serving an experience every two or three minutes or something like that. Our big hairy audacious goal is to serve an experience sustainably somewhere on earth every second. After entrepreneur Naomi Simpson had dispatched her former husband, happily as it turned out, from the business she'd founded, she set about building a bigger vision for her Red Balloon website. With new business partner, her old friend David Anderson, she created Big Red Group and the pair began adding more brands to their stable around the experiences model. Not only the Red Balloon Marketplace, but also Adrenaline and Lime and Tonic helped boost their scale-up. Their overarching goal, they say, is to shift the way people experience life. Sounds lofty, but what does that mean in reality? Well, while the 2020 COVID pandemic heavily dented sales, Naomi and David and their team are rapidly roaring back into life. In the last year alone, they sold 600,000 experiences and they're forecasting increased sales on that figure in 2021. Those sales then have a positive flow-on effect to other parts of the economy. They lay claim to now being the third largest experience provider in the world. Here's part two of my chat with Naomi Simpson. How successful is Big Red Group now? How do you measure your success? How many employees? How how profitable are you? So we measure our success in terms of the, the velocity that we serve. So when David and I came together, we worked really hard on why do we do what we do? And I would tell him stories about the business and the one guy who years mm. years and years ago who you know bought for his father a DC3 fry and his father was excited like a little boy going to a birthday party and his father shared with him that as a young man he'd heard the first DC3 flight on the wireless and he'd always wanted to be on one he said my father is a very quiet man I'll always remember today as one of the days he spoke mm. so this is when you understand the mm. job you're being hired to do when you understand your purpose is to connect people. And so at the Big Red Group, we shift the way people experience life. But how do we shift it? And it might be because I'm speaking and I don't know who's going to listen to your podcast, what difference it might make to them. But maybe because I did this work today, somebody will have a different experience of life and we shifted it hopefully for the better, of course. Mm. And so we shift the way people experience life. But how will we know when it's successful? And Jim Collins does the work with the big, hairy, audacious goal. And we said it's about would it, could it be possible? And when we came back into Red Balloon, I think we were serving an experience every two or three minutes or something like that. And so we watch our big, hairy, audacious goal is to serve an experience sustainably somewhere on earth every second every second of every day you want to have sold or or shared an experience with someone by 2030 that's a pretty yeah that's a pretty audacious goal how close are you actually we're doing pretty well 
David just showed me a report and we've, in all of this, we still think we're going to come out this year at one every 26 seconds because the problem wow. has been that people haven't been able to get yeah. experience, get yeah. out and do experiences. Yeah. But we're forecasting for every 16 seconds next year. So how many does that mean in sort of figures of how many experiences? <laughs> like you're up to, your website says something like 4 million or I 5 million or 6 million. I wish open because I could tell you the exact Oh, don't, numbers, don't But I don't worry. have it here. Like last year we served 600,000 experiences into community. So 600,000 customers went to our experience partners, which was $85 mm. million, and that was $850 million worth of economic impact. Amazing. So this year we had planned for that to be $100 million, and, of course, it just hasn't worked out that way. Yeah. So but next year we're expecting to put $120 million into community and have $1.2 billion worth of economic impact next year. Let's jump forward to this year. Are you just a shareholder? Are you what are you now in Big Red Group? Are you actually managing it day to day with David? I know he's the CEO, but do you help him manage it? No. I'm just busy. I just give him a hard time. It's a fantastic <laughs> relationship we have. We actually have a wonderful partnership because for my yin, his, his yang, we uh, have absolutely shared values and shared vision, yeah. but our strengths are different. He would rather poke his eyes out with a stick than stand up on a stage and tell a story. And I'm desperately trying to get him in front of media and yeah. to tell the story because he's so engaging when he does. It's just not his favourite thing. Yeah. So, no, he is absolutely pushing hard in the business and growth. We have an incredible leadership team who's got growth in the business you know, Gemma is still with me. She's been with me since 2003 and she's our C COO, our Chief Operating yeah. Officer. You know, so. Uh, but are you a shareholder? Me, yeah. I own 50% yeah, yeah. of the business. Yeah, right. David, so you and David, yeah. yeah okay. And I'm a director. And I kind of had a non-executive role until this year and now, as I said, I'm the acting head of B2B, which everyone just thinks is a giggle. Oh, but that's great. I'm so loving, I'm kind of loving it, except it's really busy. <laughs> yeah. Well, how have you managed the business during during this COVID-19 crisis? I mean, particularly March, April, May 2020, and then I guess the new normal of ongoing yeah. COVID restrictions or distancing, the uncertainty of not only when this will end, but how it will end for yeah. both the community and the economy. How have you been going? So, um, you know, it's documented, I said in a podcast, Peter Swift said that we fell off a cliff. You know, I watched on the 11th of March, which is when the World Health Organization announced that we were in a pandemic. I literally just watched the business go down by 90%. And mm. if we cast our minds back, you know, it was this year, but we were all in a fear. We're all just so oh, fearful. Yeah. yeah. But David and Kevin, who has our CFO, they're just, they were so methodical. Like while I'm all emotion, they're so methodical. And they just got straight into that balance sheet, straight into our forecast, went straight to the bank, and we just took every operational expense out that we could. Our team supported us incredibly. And 
So, But, I mean, group activities just sort of stopped overnight. But that's never actually been a big part of our business. We don't do a lot of team activities. We can do them. We can book people in. But we are far more about the voucher and people yeah. booking themselves in on small activities. And we do, we've done a whole range of experiences. But one of the things that happened was we were in a co-working space because we were making these acquisitions. We had a whole floor Anyway, as it transpires, we only had to give a month's notice. And so we chose to give up the rent, which was like fifty or sixty thousand yeah. dollars a month. Like it was a lot of money. Yeah. And even just saving that, everything goes back into marketing. And we stayed in marketing. In Australia, you know, there's obviously competition, but we get more competition offshore from a, a Chinese company, a German company, American companies who are trying to sell activities in Australia, not in our space particularly. There's others in Australia who are in our space. But they went out of market. They stopped spending and, and but we stayed in market. We said we've got a job here and our job is to it's been heartbreaking to listen to the stories of some of our suppliers. Mm. Heartbreaking. So and, you know, selling vouchers has been your saviour really this year. It has because what it does is it shows future demand for our 2,000 suppliers and they are prepared to invest in keeping their people on job keeper has been a saviour but keeping their people trained and ready and adjusting their locations to be COVID safe and, you know, and, and all of the checklists and everything. And if they didn't have those forward bookings through us, they wouldn't know what was going on. So we have given our industry this confidence that it is worth waiting for mm. and the money will flow. And we've worked very closely with our suppliers on that. The money is flowing. Oh, my gosh, it's flowing now, especially in New South Wales. Yeah, so it's all you back to normal. You can't experience any – oh, well, no, because now it's the other way. We need more supply. Yeah, so right. We ourselves are employing 15 new people to help us get more supply. Because it's full, everything's filling up, and but people are being far more patient. You just you can't kind of think, oh, we'll go glamping this weekend. No, you got to book for February now. Yeah, you know. So, so Naomi, what do you think? What did you learn about yourself as a leader during this unprecedented crisis? You don't have to get too deep and meaningful, but was there something <laughs> that struck you that you thought, oh, either I didn't know I had that in me, or? something you felt you you learned about yourself? I learned that sleep would come back. I lost a lot of sleep in those early days. I just was worried. I was worried for everything and everyone. I was worried for our employees. I was worried for our community. But, you know, I, I would coach myself. You know, I wrote that book, Live What You Love. I was like, man, maybe mm. I need to read my own book and remind myself <laughs> mm. about the power of positive words. And one of the things that I did was coach myself on using positive language. I disengaged from the media and I even I encouraged my community to be careful about what they listen to because you can't unhear something. Mm. And, you know, like let's think about politics in the US, whatever. I'm like, I can't do anything. I can't say anything. And I only end up feeling upset and helpless. Yeah, is that a productive thing for me to spend my energy on today? No. So I make powerful choices about what I consume and I stay in my own world of positivity and I give that positivity. My husband thinks I'm gorgeously naive <laughs> for someone of my age, but quite frankly, it serves me. So I, I called on that positivity and I still didn't realize I had the resilience in me that I have managed to show and show for others. And it, it wasn't good for, for a while there. I also started painting. 
again because, of course, we're at home and I've always painted and I did about one or two paintings a year and I'm about to host my first showing. Oh, like, oh congratulations. <laughs> I know. So I think that's been a joy is to discover our other things in our lives that give us joy that's yeah. not just work. Yeah. What did you learn about your team through this time of crisis? What I learned is we do engagement school. We do this survey every five or six weeks with the team. So we got the rhythm of the communication. And what we see is 98% confidence in leadership. And what that says to me is they were authentic and we were authentic and we created this incredible trust and bond together. So I was truly amazed and surprised and delighted that that we were all in this together and we all buckled down we were completely transparent with them but I, I have to say that job keepers just gave us you know for that first few months mm. it just gave us the ability to breathe and to be able to be proper leaders and plan we knew our people would be safe yeah. and that was the hard thing you know we just needed our people to be safe and we had to make hard decisions, though, and of which we're transparent and they respected us. I'm going back to when you began again. Were vouchers and that idea that you then exchange the voucher, you buy the voucher up front, so you've got your money and your suppliers have your money, was that very important right from the beginning? Yeah, it really was because after the experience, I, I learned how money flows through a business. You know, people can be profitable but have no cash. It's all about cash. Like cash, you know, you can't change the world if you haven't got the means. So you really need to look after cash flow from the beginning of your business. And just understand. And, you know, I talk to startups. In fact, I'm, you know, I talk to a lot of startups and you have to trust your gut. If you're feeling anxious about money, don't do it. It's not worth it. Even like some of these micro employees, like the Uber drivers, they're actually, in my opinion, they're employees. All the cost is on them, the mm. car, the insurance, the registrations, all the regulations and all of the things they have to do, all the cost is on them. And then they hope to get a booking. And so if even at that little micro level, if you're uncomfortable about the level of investment or capital you're making with the hope that you will get a booking, then don't do it. It's not right for you. That financial stress really inhibits people's ability to be creative, to be entrepreneurs. And then there's the other extreme, and I've worked with a number of these who are quite happy to take investors' money and off they pop and never did anything mm. with it and paid ridiculous salaries. So it's a balancing game between what am I prepared to put in but I'll always be able to feed my family. Yeah. And I never worked everything. I was always going to be able to put Wheaties on the table. Actually, not Wheaties because nobody eats wheat around here. Whatever. <laughs> Cereal. But when you started it, when you started Red Balloon in 2001, for you, was it a big vision? Did you always have the big vision or was it a, a smaller picture? I'll just see how this goes. 
Because there's experienced businesses in the UK, which were catalogue and call centre businesses, and they were material of size and people were telling me about them. In fact, I was introduced by one of my clients to Red Letter Days in the UK and he said, you know, we could do this. And as it happened, he didn't join the business. He ended up doing a management buyout of his own business and he never joined it. And these stories are in the books that I've written. But I did know that there was going to be a market for it, but it required the internet to be able to scale in this big land with such a small population. I didn't know how big it was going to be. We are now the largest, we're the third largest experience provider in the world. Um, There's somebody else in France. I think there's a German crowd. So the others are European. Well done. Well done. So third world, yeah. But how did you fund it in the beginning? I think in your very first answer, you said, you know, some family savings kind of went into it. Did you go to the bank? Did you borrow? Did you self-fund it? Did you, you know, beg for money from friends? (laughs) It was all about, it was self-funded. It was, you know, the bank, personal loans, lots of personal loans and so forth. Wow, yeah. And... Yes, but once the cash began to flow, you know, into ours and then off, we could then begin to predict. So, our apart from this year, it's amazing. Like we have a data team, our finance team, they can almost predict to the dollar what cash flow is now going to look like. Yeah. So, once you certain area of scale, an actuary could work out, not even an actuary, like a, a maths graduate could just exactly with a good spreadsheet can work out exactly what our cash flow is going to be. We know what our margin is, you know, yeah. tax and all the rest of it, and then we can just work it out. But back in the early years, how much of a struggle was it? How long before you made any money? I mean, you talked about how important it is for startups to, you know, have some cash flow and look after cash flow. And was there one breakthrough that really helped you leapfrog ahead? Yeah, it was those business sales. It was the orders from Xerox, Optus, and that, you know, they, because then others came. Yeah. And so when you're getting, you know, that first order with Optus was, you know, $100,000 or more. Oh, can um, you remember what that felt like to get that oh business? My, oh, my goodness. It was oh, just, yeah, it was amazing. You never forget your first customer and you never forget that moment when you think, oh, my goodness, this is really going to fly. And so really it was the support of the business community and what we're up to and our, our contribution to other business in Australia that people get it. They get our job is to be a conduit yeah. and they get the fact that, you know, it's much easier to buy from us and have us do all of the 11-point quality check of supply than that they'll know that they've got recourse if they're not there on the day, yeah. you know, all our guarantees and everything. So the real challenge was about building trust for the brand I've never put myself on our own website you know I've never advertised for it but obviously I've been wearing a red jacket for a very long time (laughs) but how much of a struggle was it in those early years and the difficulty in scaling up it was just a blur some days were good and some days were bad and literally you know the kids they've bought themselves up nicely they're fine (laughs) (laughs) Both of them are very successful in their chosen careers. So truly it was 
we had good days and bad days. We had wins and losses. We had days when, you know, something would happen and I would just be a, a world of pain and mess. And, you know, I just picked myself off. I remember another entrepreneur, the founder of Nudie Juice saying, you know, being an entrepreneur is like being a clown punching bag. You never know what's going to hit you in the face, but our job is to just keep getting up. And I remember saying to him, I, I just don't know if I want to keep getting up. And he goes, oh, well, I guess you're not an entrepreneur then. And, of course, then I just picked myself up again and yeah. off I go. It's just a blur. And I think by nature I don't focus on the negatives because actually they make you stronger as long as you learn from them. It's what is the le- lesson. And I've always had the ability to be relatively self-reflective and explore well and take responsibility. I've never lived in a world of blame. What was missing that I didn't give the appropriate brief? How could I have done that better? Mm, but mm. Blaming other people, and it is why I can stay in my world of positivity. Yeah. So you, you're positive without blinkers on, and you yeah. do actually do a lot of self introspection and that sort of thing. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, for a while there, especially through the toughest times out of 2011, when I was sitting on the board, I would write a gratitude diary every day. What am I grateful for? What do I have power over? What do I have control over? Wow. I think that's the thing is when you think you have no control, you do have control, but it takes energy to reflect on that. And I think that was what happened in the first three months of this year. We have no control. And if there's one thing that I urge of our governments and our regulators is that they give us a road map. I'm not the only business leader who's mm. been saying we get that we have to keep our population safe, but clearly the investment that New South Wales has made in keeping its people safe through tracking and profiling and allowing businesses to operate has put our state into growth. And we have 6 million people in our economy and actually, quite frankly, we could operate New South Wales in growth quite happily. Whereas the smaller states of Western Australia, whose population is 1.2 million or Tasmania, which is, you know, 500 to 600,000, their economies can't grow Mm, without mm. other people. And so what I'm saying to government is please just tell us what dates. We have to be able to plan. You don't put a job ad in and just say I need some balloon pilots. That's not how it works. Yeah, exactly. Even our own pilots all have to be recertified. They haven't been flying forever. So it's not a ready, set, go. And getting stock in store, the logistics, the trained staff, the compliance, and I remember people who start a business who've been in corporate life, they do not realise how much is involved. And unfortunately, in some of the states, we have people in leadership who've never worked in business and never worked for a commercial enterprise. And actually, profit is good. Every dollar goes back into our business to grow and create jobs for the rest of Australia. And when people say to me, oh, well, it's all right for you, no. You know, back to those early days, what was it really like? I never bought clothes. I never bought anything. I didn't take my kids on holidays. And my my friend and colleague, Gemma, who's our COO, took me aside one day and said, you know, those jeans you have worn every day and they've got a hole in them, you need to start looking like a CEO, which is when I put on the red jacket. So, you know, it was tough. I just went without. So the people who say, oh, it's all right for you, silver spoonie now, I earned every single dollar and guess what? The Australian community and the amount of tax I pay has helped this economy grow. And until people understand that, it's, 
you know, I, by the way, <laughs> I don't own a car, but I do own a hot air balloon. I'm oh. planning to our 20th anniversary. <laughs> That's great. You know, besides giving you a, a great or, or growing your great public profile, what was behind your decision to do Shark Tank, the TV show? And did you see or do you see your role there as an opportunity for you as an investor or for the startup person with the idea to potentially gain from your experience? Look, I think there's certain fundamentals. Risk appetite is one of them. And I spoke a little bit about that. And it's not just economic risk. It's also reputational risk. It's also opportunity cost. There's a whole bunch of things. And one of the reasons I wrote the book Ready to Soar was to really help people sort through, is this the life for me? We need startups. We need people to start businesses throughout Australia. Small business is the backbone of this country. Micro businesses are increasingly the backbone of this country. There will be economic growth, but you have to choose the right thing for your strengths. And Business owners, uh, you know, business ownership can is not for everybody. It yeah, just isn't. Yeah. But yeah. how did you know? Uh, sorry, I'm moving on from Shark Tank already, but, you know, a lot yeah. of people know you from that program and, and love your role in it. But I want to step back even further briefly. I mean, what sort of family life did you have? Were your folks entrepreneurial? Were they business people? Uh, did you always know you wanted to be in business? No, my dad's an engineer, and but he did start his own consulting practice. My mum was data analyst and systems engineer in computing, and she worked for one of Australia's great entrepreneurs, Lindsay Catamol, and her business was Aspect Computing, and mum worked for her for years, and she would my mum would drag me to work events for her. So I had good, strong role models mm. in the entrepreneurial space. But I would argue my parents are actually relatively conservative. I don't know where I came from, actually. Helen, I've got no idea. <laughs> um, but all I know is that I've working in ANSET and bigger organizations, I felt very stifled and it's really hard for me in those sorts of environments because I'm just, I'm an ideas girl mm. and I'm like, well, why can't we do this? And I just am. It's just the way I've always been. But I don't know where I came from. A couple of fairly quick questions and then we'll finish on that. And I ask, I've ask i been asking most of my guests some of these. What is the main ingredient in building a business like Red Balloon? Uh, the story and building trust for your brand, that emotional connection, yeah, building emotional connection and trust. What's the biggest thing you've learned in your startup journey? There will be another Christmas. And I say that because I was always urgent, 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 Christmas is coming. And sometimes you need more than a short-term plan, rushing to the urgent. You need to work on the important to build your business over a period of time. So trust yourself. There will. This is a 2, 10, 20, you know, 50-year journey. There will be another Christmas. What do you reckon is the toughest thing you faced in your career? Oh, having to let people go when they were no longer right for the business. I, you know, love the people I work with and it's always hard, you know, but you have to always look after the good of the whole. We're custodians of that. I'm custodian of the Red Balloon brand, but custodians of the job we said we we're going to do in Big Red Group, but it's awful, always is, but it's better for all concerned. 
What are you obsessed about at the moment, be it a, an issue, a book? A... Pardon? <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> We're calling it the standout summer. And for people who are listening after summer, there will be another Christmas, so don't you worry about that. <laughs> and I'm also really excited for the support that we are and our contribution to the Australian economy and the support we're giving to our business customers. So, you know, I'm excited. Naomi, you are, you know, you're a motivational speaker. You've put some of your thoughts into a couple of books, but what would you say to younger people wanting to pursue either an idea or to be an entrepreneur? Is to read my books. <laughs> well, live what you love. I, even my kids have read them and I kind of wrote them because I wanted them to make powerful choices over their careers. And Ready to Soar is anybody who's thinking about starting an idea and a third of Australians, and it's probably more now, at any given point are thinking, oh, I've got a business idea. Just because you've got a great idea doesn't mean you're going to be a great business owner or business scaler. So I would encourage people to invest the time in learning if this is the journey for them and to really reflect on their own energy, not just what people are telling them. And there is a point in people's lives where, you know, parents will say, you should be a doctor. Yeah, I'm but sure. what do you mean your own energy? To be perseverant, to pick yourself up or? Yeah, so observe when you feel joy. Observe when you feel in flow, when you're working on something and it, time has no meaning. That's me and my painting, by the way. So when you observe your own emotions and if you just write them in a little diary what did I feel good about well then then you get to play in your power spot and it takes skill and practice. Naomi Simpson it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you thank you so much for joining me on Build It They'll Come. My pleasure Helen it's been so wonderful thank you for having me. Pleasure. I hope you enjoyed Build It They'll Come. Let me know via Twitter at Helen underscore Daly. Better still, let your family, friends and colleagues know. Share it around your networks and I'd love you to give it a star rating to make it easier for others to find us. Be sure to subscribe as there are plenty of upcoming episodes you don't want to miss with more amazing innovators and entrepreneurs on how they turned their light bulb idea into an empire. 